Well, good morning, everybody. If you're brand new with us today, uh, for sake of introduction, my name's Aaron Stern. I'm the lead pastor here. And I uh, want to welcome a few different groups here. First of all, I want to welcome everybody who's joining us online. We're so glad that you're with us. Thank you for being with us here today. Um, I also want to give a big shout out to everybody in Overflow. Can we hear from you, Overflow? There we go. Okay, thank you to Overflow. Yep, we love you. Uh, hello, Balcony. All right, all right. Showing up. Floor, how we doing? Hey, there we go. Okay. Uh, well, thank you all for all the adjustments, being an Overflow, uh, squeezing into this uh, smaller space. Uh, we have one more week in here, and then we will be back, thankfully, for Easter, uh, back into our normal uh, gathering space. And somebody I heard just said amen. Um, and so, so uh, appreciate all of your adjustments with all of this these last few weeks as they have the opera uh, going on. Uh, as many of you know, over the last a few weeks ago, I announced uh, that we are launching a giving initiative in order to uh, uh, purchase at some point a permanent home. And so we're excited about the journey that we're embarking on as a community together. Uh, that giving initiative is called So That. And uh, we are uh, we're moving in a process through that and for that. If you don't have information on that, there's a booklet out in the lobby on the second floor, and uh, there's a little sew that table and banner, and uh, you can grab one of those booklets, give you information on where we're at, what we're trying to do. Uh, there's also somebody standing there. If you have any questions, they'd be happy to answer them for you. Also, uh, Jossie and I, my wife, have found it helpful to... Uh, gather in some smaller spaces with different people. Sometimes it's, it's just a conversation over coffee. Sometimes it's a little smaller group. Uh, so we want to provide space for that with everybody, uh, if possible. So uh, the, we've broken up our church into eras, if you will, as far as when you started attending. And so this afternoon at noon, so you could stay just a little longer, uh, for anybody who came to Mill City starting for the, in the first three years, 2012, 2013, and 2014. That'll be Justin Fleming up here, Steph Robbie over here, uh, and many others. And so if you uh, started jumping in around that time, uh, it's in the IRH, Instrumental Rehearsal Hall, which is on the other end of the building where elementary is at. If you don't know where that is, um, just to ask, we'd be happy to direct you there. Lunch will be provided, childcare is provided, and uh, would love the opportunity to hang out, talk, uh, dialogue, answer any questions or concerns, as well as just dream a bit into the future. Next Sunday is for the next group, that's 2015 uh, to 2019, and then finally the last group is 2020 to the present. And so mark that on your calendar, it's noon to 1.15 uh, on those particular Sundays, and we would love to see you there. You can register on our website, go to the So That section uh, in order to reserve your space, make sure that we have lunch for you. In 1980, Rosie Ruiz ran the Boston Marathon, and won. She was the first female to cross the finish line. The amazing thing about it was that she had never won a marathon prior to winning the Boston Marathon. Boston Marathon, as many of you might know, is a, one of the most prestigious marathons in the world. And for and anybody to win, one of, to win the Mar Boston Marathon is a significant, the, the elite athletes of the world. And so to, to, to have this relatively unknown person win was a bit of a head-scratcher. 
And so they started asking some questions, and somebody noticed her legs and thought, her legs don't look like marathon running legs. Not quite skinny enough, not quite long and lean enough. So they started asking some questions and found that nobody on the race that day saw her. And come to find out, she had jumped into the race at the last mile (laughs) and won. (laughs) I find that many of us sometimes want to get in on the finish, but cleverly manage not to run the race. Maybe as a follower of Jesus, we put a fish on our car, show up at church on a Sunday. But the actual organization of our lives around the life of Jesus is missing. Just like a marathoner has to organize their life around running a marathon, food, sleep, schedule, everything, the same reality is true for followers of Jesus. What we order our lives around determines who we become and what we do. And so we as a church have ordered our lives around three goals, to encounter Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what he did. These three phrases are woven into our vision statement. This is the final Sunday of our vision series. Uh, The very first Sunday, we started with the last phrase, and that is, so that northern Colorado looks more like heaven. In other words, the purpose of organizing our lives around encountering Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing what Jesus did is that heaven would touch earth in our lives and through our lives. I encourage you, if you missed that message, it was on March 5th, to listen or watch it. So we are talking about what does it look like for our lives to be organized around these three goals, so that not only do we finish the race, but we actually run it. So today we're going to start in Matthew chapter 4, the first of the four Gospels, and starting in verse 18, we're going to move through several passages in the book of Matthew today. But this particular uh, passage is where Jesus is inviting uh, a couple of his 12, what we know as the 12 disciples, to be a part of his community. It says that Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee. He saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Verse 19. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. I want to explain just a couple of phrases here in this last verse. First, he says, and I'll I'll send you out to fish for people. Now, we might think, oh, that's just a clever, you know, turn of phrase. Uh, You're a fisherman. We're going to send you to be fish for men. Um, But the reality is, in the first century, this was an idiom. It was an idiom that meant a great teacher. A great teacher was a fisher of men. And Jesus is saying, I'm a great teacher, and I will make you a great teacher if you follow me. Now, when he says follow him, what he means is actually follow him, like actually stop being a fisherman, like on this boat, and walk with me wherever I go, and we're going to eat together, and you're going to watch me do some things, and we're going to see some amazing things, we're going to eventually go to Jerusalem. And he didn't tell him all this, but he's saying, and when he says follow me, it was like not just like, hey, um, can you mark off Wednesdays at three o'clock for a Bible study? We're going to study the book of Exodus. No, it's like, follow me, like everything about your life is about to change because you're no longer going to do this, you're going to do that. Now, here we are in 2023, and Jesus gives us the same invitation, follow him. 
It's a little bit different because we're not in the Middle East. Jesus isn't walking around in the same way that he was in the Gospels, but the invitation is the same for our whole lives to change. The invitation is not just to a Sunday morning or to a city group, though those are important. He's also saying, oh, and by the way, Monday afternoon at 3 o'clock matters, and Friday night at 10 o'clock matters. And so he is saying, I want you to follow me in order to adopt my lifestyle. Like, we're gonna, you're going to watch me because we're going to do the same things. But then he says in this verse that I will, if you follow me, I will send you out. So you will become a great teacher like me, but I'm going to send you out. See, sometimes we might like the idea of spiritual transformation, and we should. Last week we talked about becoming like Jesus, and that is should be the goal of our lives. But if we only think that becoming like Jesus is an inward process, then we're only, we're only experiencing and embracing half of what it's all about. And if we leave it there, then spiritual formation in our modern day actually just becomes about self-actualization. Jesus is saying it is we are being formed in order to be sent out. See, the goal of apprenticeship is to do what Jesus did, not just talk about what he did. C.S. Lewis, in his letters to Malcolm, British theologian and author, wrote, the petition, thy will be done, referencing the Lord's Prayer, is not merely that I may patiently suffer God's will, but also that I may vigorously do it. I must be an agent as well as a patient. I am asking that I may be enabled to do it. And so Jesus, in his request for his disciples in the first century and us today to follow him, is a request for us to be formed and for us to be sent out. Now, to know what we should do as a follower of Jesus, we have to start with the question, what did Jesus do? Now, some of you might be familiar with the 90s bracelet, WWJD. What would Jesus do? I like the question, what did Jesus do? Just look at the Gospels, and what did he do? And let's do that. Now, unfortunately, we too often ask a different question first. What's my neighbor doing? What am I doing that will look good on social media? What is my political party doing? What does the American dream say that I should do? Or the cultural mantra of our day, what do I want to do? You be you. You do you. But at the end of the day, what Jesus is saying is for us to ask, what did Jesus do? And then follow-up question, am I doing that? Now, we know that Jesus prayed, fasted, practiced Sabbath, memorized Scripture. He lived in community. But it wasn't just inward. I have four boys, and, and, and they, of course, wrestle, and they like to work out, and they like to take pictures of their muscles. And, and, but then every now and then, you know, uh, Jossie will come home from Costco, and I'll be like, hey, boys, go out and help mom load all the groceries into the house. Hey, boys, those muscles, they're not for status. They're for service. Our formation is not for status. It is for service. I've given this definition before. I want to highlight it again for spiritual transformation. It's the process, takes time, of being formed 
We don't do the forming. The Holy Spirit does the forming. We create the space for it. Into the image of Christ, in community, for the sake of others. Or I also like to say, for my neighbors and the nations. Like actual neighbors and actual nations. Not just in idea, but in reality. Jesus later now, after having chosen his disciples, and now additional disciples are starting to follow him. In Matthew chapter 9, it says that Jesus went through all the towns and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Turn the corner into Matthew chapter 10, and it says, these 12 Jesus sent out with the following instruction. So here he says, hey, pray that there would be some people to be sent out. Now, I wonder if the disciples were standing there like, oh yeah, we should pray for that. You know what they maybe weren't thinking was like, oh, you know who that is? It's us. Sometimes we think that's somebody else. I'll pray for them. He says, do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. What's he saying? The kingdom of heaven is the reflection of the authority of God, God's rule and reign. Those are indicated by or show God's authority through healing of the sick, raising the dead, cleansing those who have leprosy, driving out demons, you know, a no big deal list. Freely you have received, freely give. These types of sent out messages continue. Not long after this, Jesus sends out the 72. Not long after that, at the end of Matthew in chapter 28, he says to all of his disciples, including us, if you're a follower of Jesus in the room today, go into all the worlds. So this, this go, this be sent out, is part of the thing that Jesus did and what he asked and encouraged his followers to do. See, because not only did Jesus study scripture and practice Sabbath, and, and we should do that. Some of you need to know that What Jesus did was he took naps. It can be a spiritual thing to take a nap. Some of you need to take fewer naps. Some of you need to take more. (laughs) But Jesus also healed the sick, drove out demons, told people about the kingdom. He prophesied. He fought religious corruption. He ate with those far from God. He worked for justice. And he went to the poor and to those on the margins. Sometimes we think that participating in ministry is preaching a sermon. But the reality is is that it is oftentimes giving a cup of cold water and helping somebody right in front of us. You might say, well, how do I do that? I want to give you just a few different things that we can do to be participants in and to follow this idea of being sent out and doing what Jesus did. Remember, that's the question. Am I doing what Jesus did? And therefore, what did Jesus do? First of all, I want to I maybe dispel something 
And that is the idea like, oh, I'm not ready. But I want to say to you, don't disqualify yourself. Sometimes we think, well, I, I, don't, I, can't, I don't know where the dinosaurs came from. I don't know how to explain the Nephilim. Some of you are like, the what of the what of him? <laughs> the seraphim, the cherubim. The... But, you know, look at the disciples. Sometimes they say and do the most knuckleheaded things. I mean, later on, after being sent out, they're like arguing over who's going to be the greatest. One of them, their mom, their mommy, comes and talks to Jesus and says, can you put my son next to you? I mean, they weren't ready, except for this. Jesus sends them out, and he, what does he, how does he end? He says, freely you have received, freely give. He doesn't say, okay, now you know everything, now go tell it. So my question for each one of us is, what have you received? Have you received the grace of God? Have you received the love of God? Have you experienced the faithfulness of God? Have, has God provided for you? What has God given to you? What he's asking is, don't be a lake, be a river. Be a conduit. Let God work through you. And some of you are like, well, that's a great idea, Aaron, but you have no idea what I've done. I am pretty sure I've disqualified myself. If I told you the stories, if, I, if you saw my relationships, not for me, I'll leave that for, you know, you pastors and all you spiritual Christians. No, no, no. If we look at the disciples of Jesus, one of them was Matthew, who's a tax collector. Chances are that before he was following Jesus, he was skimming some off the top, stealing, as that's, which is one of the reasons that the tax collectors were so hated. Or look at the life of who we know as Paul. Before he was Paul, he was Saul, and he was persecuting Christians and killing them, trying to put them in prison, trying to squash this Jesus movement. And Jesus knocks him off on the road to Damascus, onto the ground. And he later then becomes the greatest builder of the church in the first century. We have many of his letters in the New Testament. Because he was disqualified? No. Because God used his mess and everything that he did wrong and redeemed. See, God doesn't waste anything. God doesn't waste your divorce. God doesn't waste your pain. God doesn't waste your trauma. God doesn't waste the things that you see as the disqualifiers. Those actually might be the things that God wants to redeem and speak through. Because chances are that in the same way that God found you, saw you, redeemed you, restored you, there's other people that need that, and God will work through you to meet them. And by the way, it's not about you and me anyway. And it's not you and me all by ourselves anyway. It's you and me with the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 1, right after Jesus had said to his disciples, go, he says, but wait. <laughs> go, but don't. Until... You receive the Holy Spirit. When you receive the Holy Spirit, then run like the wind. God chose you. God sees you. God knows. Overflow, God knows. Online, God knows. He sees you. He 
He's got you, and he wants to work through you. Secondly, we need to leave margin for love. If you look at the life of Jesus and his ministry in the Gospels, so often Jesus was on his way way somewhere when somebody interrupts him and he heals them, he interacts with them, he provides for them, he rescues, he raises their... I mean, it was everything from some blind man, blind Bartimaeus, yelling from the side of the road. Jesus wasn't going to blind Bartimaeus. He was on his way to somewhere, and blind Bartimaeus interrupted him. And what do people do? Hey, quiet that man down. And Jesus is like, no, no, no. Which means that he wasn't in such a hurry to get to where he was going that he couldn't stop for the interruption. There is a significant portion of Jesus' ministry that was caused by an interruption. Sometimes it was kids. Sometimes it was somebody yelling. Sometimes it was somebody pushing through a crowd. Sometimes he's preaching and the roof of the home opens up as they tear off the roof and a, and a lame man or a, uh, who's unable to walk comes and is right in front of them. That's a, talk about an interruption. You know what that story tells me? God is not afraid of the interruptions and he's not afraid of the mess. Some of us have our lives so tightly wound and so tightly scheduled, we don't have any room for interruptions. Oh, sure, I'd like to heal the six. 3.30 at 3, or Monday at 3.30 is when I've got time for that. Demon, ca- demon, casting out demons, I can try that at about 9.30 on Friday morning. I don't see that's how it works. What did Jesus do? He Gave room for interruption. Are you interruptible? Or are you moving too fast that you can't afford an interruption? C.S. Lewis, again, says the great thing, if one can, is to stop regarding all the unpleasant things as interruptions of one's own or real life. Sometimes interruptions can be such a bother. The truth is, of course, what, that what one calls the interruptions are precisely one's real life. The life God is sending one day by day. Or another way of saying it, the life that God is going to use. I'd like to suggest that how you respond to an interruption is actually who you are. And indicates something about our formation and our willingness to be sent out. And so for some of us, some of the most valuable things that we can do as an apprentice to Jesus is not to go to another city group, but it's to rearrange and cut things out of our schedule. Netflix, to watch net le- fewer binges of shows or to change or maybe adjust or maybe say no to some kids' activities, or maybe it's to eliminate or reduce video games. I don't know, whatever it is, shopping, online. Sometimes we think, okay, what can I do in my apprenticeship to Jesus? Sometimes it's to add things, and sometimes it's to cut things so that we can become interruptible, so that we can walk through a line and be okay with a line and maybe think, I wonder if this person's standing behind me. I wonder what's happening with them. Because the next thing we need to do is pray for eyes to see. God, would you help me to see? Help me to see my actual, you know, the Bible says, love your neighbor. That neighbor isn't a, an ethereal word. It's like an actual word, like your actual neighbor. 
Our first neighbor is the people that live in the houses we live in. But actually, like our next-door neighbor, the people that live across the street or in the cube next to us or in the desk next to us in a class or wherever we might find ourselves, he's actually saying, like, love your actual neighbor. So we've got to have eyes to see. Ask God for eyes to see the hurting, the lonely, the desperate, and listen to the Holy Spirit in those moments. Maybe even ask, Holy Spirit, is there anything you want me to see here? Oftentimes, the people we will see the most are the people that have experienced or are experiencing what we have. These are oftentimes when hopefully our radars go off the most and we think, I wonder if I can connect. In order to do this, in order to step into it, we've got to embrace uncomfortable. Now, this doesn't play well in our world because we live in a world that has places an exceptionally high value in personal comfort. But Jesus doesn't say, okay, this, I'm going to send you out, and I want you to heal the sick. I want you to do all these things. And by the way, you're not going to feel nervous at all. Some of you are like, yeah, this is kind of a sweaty hand message, Aaron. The idea of this, let alone like creating interruptions, like talking to the person behind me. Because <laughs> it is uncomfortable. I remember when our neighbors moved into, next door to us a couple of years ago. And I'm like, oh, great, I can't wait to meet some new neighbors. I wonder what's going on with them. And, maybe, and, and so we have this introduction conversation, and, 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 and they say, what do you do? I'm like, oh, I'm a pastor. This is what happened in the conversation. And I'm like, big gulps, huh? <laughs> I, I, don't, I, I, don't, I don't know what happened in the moment. Uh, you know, like, I, I, would, I think they were like, is this guy from Mars? Do they do that today? Who is this? Why would you do that? And I don't know if it was like, I, I, no, do not, does not compute, or if it was like, uh, uh, I've had bad experiences. I... Or maybe it's the moment when you don't just say, oh, I'll pray for you, but you say, can we pray, can I pray for you right now? You know, in the middle of the coffee shop, like where everybody can maybe see us and hear us? Yeah. Or, or maybe it's talking to the person and you say, would you like to join me for Easter? I hear that you're struggling and need some hope. Easter Sunday is the most hope-filled day of the year. Hope for now and hope for the future. I'll save you a seat. And they might say no. And so now it's like, that was awkward. But can we embrace the uncomfortable? Jesus sends out the 72. They ended up coming back, and you know what they did? They go to Jesus, and they're like, Jesus, guess what? You told us that we're going to like heal the sick and like preach the kingdom, and, and, it, and it worked. <laughs> so I think they were like, okay, Jesus is sending us out. We're going to go do this, but I doubt this is going to work. But, but what if we just, like them, like, I mean, we're shocked, but hey, we just might as well try. What if God's just willing, asking for willing vessels? Can I pray for you? Can I help you? And then finally, don't underestimate the power of following Jesus, of following the way of Jesus in community. Like, like that your life does speak. 1 Peter chapter 2 says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. To to not give into your desires is pretty radical these days and says a lot to people. Sometimes they just think we're weird. It's fine. Live such good lives among the pagans. Now, 
we might read that as derogatory, it's not derogatory in the first century, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us. So practicing Sabbath, how you handle your money, the fact that you're willing to let God tell you how to manage your time, your money, your finances, your sexuality, all of those things are a bit strange in our world when we are in a world that says, do whatever you want to do. As long as it feels good to you, then that's true. But what if they say, they're weird, but there's a peace that I see in them. They're weird, but there's a flourishing and a joy. They're weird, but they walk with hope. See, we sometimes think about being sent out as fantastical or glamorous or Instagram viral worthy. But the reality is is that your ordinary life is the main event of the kingdom of God. Your everyday life. The Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28, go into all the world. Sometimes we think about going to Mongolia. But actually, a, a more accurate translation is as you go into the world, like into your world, into your workplace, into your school, into your friend group, as you go, not go do it over there, but actually do it in your everyday life. In the book of Luke, the gospel, according to Luke, he says in one spot, the son of man, referring to Jesus, came to seek and save the lost. And then in another passage, not long after that, he says, the son of man came eating and drinking. So here he is, this is what he came to do, but one of the ways that he came to do it was through eating and drinking. I can get on board with that. Like, in other words, it, it isn't about setting up a crusade, being Billy Graham, somehow being on a platform, Sunday-type ministry. That is an element of ministry, no doubt, it is important. But every day, having people around your table, going out to eat, having a drink together, is a part of expressing the heart of God about pointing to a feast that is coming when Jesus returns and about providing belonging. In 355, the emperor Julian, after Constantine, he wanted to restore traditional Roman Roman pagan worship to like Zeus, Athena, etc. Because he had a deep concern for the Christians that were worshiping one God, and he thought he saw a rise of atheism. Atheism to him was not worshiping all of the Roman gods, but instead worshiping this one God. So he wanted, to, he wanted this multiple worship of gods to come back. And he says, why do we not observe that it is their benevolence to strangers, their care for the graves of the dead, and the holiness of their lives that have done the most to increase atheism? So he set up a publicly funded charity so people would stop turning to the church for care. And he said, for it is disgraceful that no Jew ever has to beg, and they support not only their own poor, but ours as well. All men see that our people lack aid from us, and they find it in the church. Mill City Church, 
My hope and my prayer is that when people need care, they turn to the church. I'm grateful for the social services of our city and our region. But when people need care, what if they said, oh, I know about this church, Mill City Church, they care. It's one of the reasons that I look forward to us having a permanent space with a sign out more than four hours a day, a week, so that people can see that lighthouse of Mill City Church as a place of care and love. Rodney Stark, professor from Baylor, wrote in his book, The Triumph of Christianity, that in about 40 AD, so not long after Jesus had ascended into heaven, there was several thousand Christians. And by 350 AD, there were 32 million Christians. You say, wow, that is amazing. It is. This was a world without the internet. You think, they must have had amazing preachers. Maybe so, but scholars actually argue that that increase from a couple thousand to 32 million can be attributed in large ways to the church's distinctive practice of hospitality. As people are running away from the city center where the plague is, is that Christians are running in. And they're not running in one at a time. It's groups of them, the, the community. See, hospitality threatens other gods and helps people see Jesus. Hospitality communicates belonging. Sometimes we think that people have to believe before they can belong. Or worse, that they have to behave before they can belong. But I wonder if God is inviting us to embrace radical hospitality to communicate belonging on the way to belief, on the way to transformation. So our weekly practice for all of us this week is to ask the Holy Spirit for kingdom opportunities and to ask the Holy Spirit for courage to step into them. Really, the fact is, is there are kingdom opportunities. We just have to have eyes to see them. And the willingness to pause or the space and the margin to love. So for some of us, maybe before we actually can do this, we have to evaluate our schedules. Some of you may need to sit down by yourself or with your spouse if you're married, talk through your schedule, ask, what are we going to cut out? What is God not asking us to do? Some of you need to get in community. Jesus sends his disciples out in pairs. Jesus walked with the group. Even though it's the middle of a semester, there's groups that are open and waiting for you. Some of you just need to schedule a meal with some friends, with some, a coworker, with a neighbor, with a single mom across the street, a few people that are somehow in the circle that God has given to you. Invite them over for a feast. Be generous with your time as a step towards and expressing the hospitality of God. So God, would you give us eyes to see? That's the prayer. Because they're all around us. Give us the courage to step into them, right? For some of you, there's a step for you right now. There's a step for all of us. We all want to practice this together. 
For some, it's in the community. And for others, it's a step into faith in Jesus. We've been talking a lot about the way of Jesus, but the, the beginning of that is the fact that Jesus is the way. We talk about the way of Jesus because we believe Jesus is the way. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about being the gate, meaning if you're going to enter, you have to walk through me. And so if that's you here today, can I just encourage you to sincerely under your breath say, Jesus, I give you my life. If you're online, if you're in overflow, Jesus, I give you my life. As a way of surrendering and saying, I'm not going to go my way, I'm going to go your way, and you are going to be the one that directs my path. I'm going to organize my life around you. And so, Father, I pray for each one of us, wherever we might find ourselves, whatever our next step is, whatever we need to organize or reorganize so that our lives are centered around you, so that we don't just try to finish the race, we actually run the race that you've called for us. For anybody in this room who's experiencing shame, God, I pray that you would Communicate in a beautiful way your love and your delight. The invitation. God, I pray that we would not see this as performance, but actually see it as invitation and participation with the Holy Spirit. And we ask for your kingdom to come and your will to be done. This we pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And everybody said...